0: Hello and welcome to the free associates. That's right, the free, wait for it, associates. <clears throat> the freedom to associate with anybody, anything that comes our way. Any idea that comes down the street, the freedom to walk over to it and say, Hmm, really? What? Well, what is it? Like, what are you, what are you selling? What are you offering? And then move on and maybe get all the ideas in the room or all the ideas in the world and maybe just move past it and just like come up with it. Because I'll tell you one thing, you may have an idea out there and you may be attached to it. That's good. Even if you love that idea, even if you want to snuggle with it at night, I recommend you bring every other idea in the room because if your idea is true, if your idea is strong, the other arguments will only make it stronger. Go ask Abe Lincoln. He always prepared the brief for the other side before he prepared the brief for his own side because he knew it would make his argument that much stronger. So if for nothing else, we free associate to strengthen our beliefs, give them the light of day. Waylon, how you doing, pal? Doing good, what's good? well i'll tell you what's good i've been having trouble hypnotizing you Not, don't get hypnotized i've been having trouble getting the lights so so no no i got special special thing now
1: Whoa.
0: oh now you'll be hypnotized Uh oh i hope no one has whatever epilepsy out there because that is really- oh. okay i no, so- gotta put a new warning on the show is going to do what you've got to do, whatever I tell you to do, and you got to <laughs> believe in everything I believe in. Ah, all right, so good. Everything okay there, uh, compadre? Yeah. How you doing? Good. Steve, How's it uh, going, mustache? Man. I'm glad you dressed up for the show today. That's great. You look <laughs>
1: awesome. <laughs> I'm wearing, I can't run, so this is my solidarity shirt. I've been running. like that, That's yeah, the yeah. one of the things that I've been doing the most, actually, is running. So it's like, yeah. today is just a wash. We got that news uh, that the schools were closed and, and
0: yes, so we can kind of just touch on this briefly. And by the way, you're either listening to us on Facebook Live, or you're listening on WMUA Amherst. This gets rebroadcast the next day, and so you may be listening to a rebroadcast of it. We're on Facebook Live. We have our website, thefreeassociates.us, and we're podcasted everywhere. So if you like our show, you can go to those websites. You can like us on Facebook, and you can get our podcast on any platform you can imagine it's there. So yes, it's it's there's no joy in Mudville today. It's raining really hard and cold and wet. And, you know, we talked about that 10 day forecast yesterday. Well, day 10 is like 54 degrees again. I mean, I swear to God, we're not getting a 65 in April. Oh, man, it's terrible. And yes, Massachusetts has closed its schools for the rest of the year. Now, I suggested to Wayland, "Do you want to talk about that today?" And he said, "No, I already did this other work for you, so I'm not going to do that. Let's talk about it tomorrow." Exactly. So that's a heads up. Yeah, that's a heads up. Tomorrow we're going to talk about it. I think it's an it's a it's a hard decision. I don't fault Baker for making it or waiting. I actually appreciated that he waited a while to make it and put things in place. And you know, one of the things, Wayland, I don't know whether Robin and I were talking about. Is last night at dinner, we were like, I feel like there's a lot of blame going around, but like this is outside of human control to a certain extent. Like, yeah, there's room to kind of assess better or worse behavior, but I almost feel like the amount of blame is consistent with how much people think we actually control. If, If you're like me and you're like, you only really control so much about the world and life, you don't blame people that much because you're like, well, it's a pandemic. I mean, yeah.
1: And not only that, I mean, it's, it's, you, I, I would take the, the exact opposite way. We have had yeah. a, 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 con- a fundamental control over the situation in ways that is unprecedented as well. Yes. So, I mean, through technology, through being able to talk, uh, uh instantaneously on a global level, through the, 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 drastic actions and immediate actions that we've done, we've actually curved a lot of what we would, would normally seen oh, yeah. even 15, 20 years ago.
0: Oh. No doubt. And so I think that part of the free associations is to be a voice of moderation. And to that end, I think we can say, be careful. If you're blaming people for everything, you, you might want to kind of rejigger your sense of what people can control. But yes, I, I appreciate the, the opposite view. It's not the opposite. It's kind of like adding on and saying, yes, and um, there's a lot that we were able to get ahead of and et cetera. So I, I totally get that too. You know, during 100 years ago, the thing just rolled through and you found out when it kind of came through town a little bit. So I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So what are we going to look at here, folks? We are going to examine um, today. We're going to examine we've been looking at political pieces and we're going to look at another one today. These are all predictions about post-COVID life. And so, uh, Waylon, if you can get that caption up on the screen. This one isn't wrong. You got me? Thanks, pal. Okay. So, now, this is called Government Becomes Big Pharma. And Steph Sterling is a Vice President of Advocacy and Policy at the Roosevelt Institute and co-author of the forthcoming paper, In the Public Interest, Democratizing Medicine Through Public Ownership. Okay. Now, so she might be a little biased, but that's all right. The coronavirus has laid bare the failure of our costly, ineffectual, market-based system for developing, uh, researching, manufacturing medicines and vaccines. COVID-19 is one of several coronavirus outbreaks we've seen over the past 20 years. Yet the logic of our current system, a range of costly government incentives intended to stimulate private sector development has resulted in the 18th month window we now anticipate before widespread vaccine ability. Private pharmaceutical firms simply will not prioritize a vaccine or other countermeasures for a future public health emergency until it is finally profitability is assured. And that is far too late to prevent mass disruption. The reality of fragile supply chains for active pharmaceutical ingredients coupled with public outrage over patent abuses that limit the ability of new treatments has led to an emergency bipartisan consensus that the public sector must take far more active and direct responsibility for the development and manufacture of medicines. The more efficient, far more resilient government approach will replace our failed 40-year experiment with market-based incentives to meet essential health needs. All right, Waylon, you want to take it and run with it?
1: Um, sure.
0: What's I your think. What's
1: I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement and, and kind of not. I, I, it's, uh, they're spot on when they're talking about the the idea of private enterprise and thinking about profit margins. It's just not economically efficient to try to be prepared for something that you one you don't know exists. Two, you need the actual physical coronavirus in order to make those to make those vaccines and to develop something. Uh, and three, it, it's it there it, a good example of this is the the state of our hospitals before all this happened. There was a certain uh, amount of of beds that you can have in a hospital. Now you would think that it's a certain amount of beds that was put forth because they were trying to limit the amount of free beds inside of a hospital, but it was actually a cap that the government put on beds because if the economics of beds was such that if you have a bed in a hospital, it gets taken regardless of, of, of needs. So they kind of fill up. So, the, there's weird economics – just bringing it back to this – there's weird economics that go on with, with, the private, with private institutions and private enterprise and pharmaceuticals and the healthcare system mm-hmm. and all these things that you do need some sort of – if it's not some incentive that is through some governmental program that is funding it, then it needs to be the government itself looking into these. And I'm not just saying that this should be something that entirely takes over – uh, our priorities, but it should be something that we consider. Like we were talking about on the scale of if we're going to think about, um, you know, a, in a a threat, an an external threat from a country, we should also think of be thinking about internal threats from from viruses and things like that. Put into our governmental budgets.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so you're of the school. How would you kind of summarize that really quickly, though? Like, what's your feeling here?
1: My opinion. Uh, I agree. So I agree on the principle that we need to look towards uh, government to solve some of the things that the the that private uh, industry is not going to because it's not incentivized for doing so on okay. a on a on a profit margin level. Okay. And that's not to say. The other thing yeah. I to say is that's not to say that that the pharmaceutical companies. It, there's a lot of things that are wrong with them, but there's not to say yeah. that the, the pharmaceutical companies are wrong on this because I much rather have a pharmaceutical company do research and development into cancers and into other known diseases that can be we can we can be targeting rather than some sort of thing that we don't know that's gonna be coming down the the pipeline in the next twenty five to thirty years and trying to, to, to develop that. That should be a research and development, but the things that we we know heart disease mm-hmm. and cancer and all these things, prioritize some of those first.
0: Well that makes sense. So you're saying um, that you feel like Farm. First of all, there's a lot of wrong with big pharma in this country, and all you have to do is read a couple of books on the opioid epidemic, and you know that. And there's other stuff, but okay, I get your point. And so you're looking at kind of governmental supplemental aid for things that the pharmacy companies aren't going to make. Direct money on that—it's almost like national security stuff, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, ventilators were a great, uh, a great example of that. We knew that we had a shortage of ventilators in, in in the United States. The government had reached out to a company to help them develop cheaper a cheaper stockpile of these. It was that company was bought out by another company, and then the the company that bought out the company that was making those ventilators saw it as an active competition amongst its own ventilator production. So. The government needs to step in and intervene in some, in some sort of either stockpiling or things like that. The problem is to what extent – we talked about it too – when these technologies become obsolete, how many do you anticipate on having? Because even, even the stockpile that we were amassing would probably not be large enough for, for the coronavirus outbreak right here. So yeah. it's just to what extent and to what extent the, the, per, the public perception is that we are wasting money. Because it might happen, it might not happen for 100 years.
0: Well, that's right. And that's a problem. And we talked about this before. I can't remember what other thing we talked about, but it was a similar thing where, well, I talked about kind of larger government getting involved in situations. It's so hard to really anticipate this. I mean, did we know that there was a pandemic coming? Well, we felt that it was entirely a possible threat, just like cybersecurity. Just like I'll give you an example of this actually that just popped into my head. I teach Middle Eastern history, as you know. Um, there's been a lot of post-mortem on Afghanistan, right? Because that's where Osama bin Laden was able to hide out and hatch September 11th. And so after September 11th, it was very easy to point to Afghanistan and say, why did we let go of Afghanistan? Why didn't we keep the door open? And it's really true. Like the doors in Afghanistan, once the Taliban came in, were closed. We could not access it at all. Like literally, we didn't have a single agent inside of Afghanistan. Here's the problem. And this is where history is important. We were concerned about loose nuclear weapons in Eastern Europe. That's what we were worried about. You know, and if you're sitting in in national intelligence in uh, 92, that's what you're worried about. You're not really worried about Afghanistan, you know, because you can't anticipate that September 11th is going to be hatched there. But what you do know is that there's loose nuclear weapons in Belarusia that have to be controlled somehow. And so I think that that, again, goes to the topic of blame that we were talking about at the start of the show. It's very hard to know. It's very hard to know. And now, I guess there's a lot of doctors. I talked to one of my students, and he, her dad's a emergency room doctor. Um, and he, apparently, they're kind of ambivalent about the the uh, excuse me the the, the ventilators, yeah, the ones. Yeah, they're kind of ambivalent on them because of what they're finding is that people are actually having a very hard time from coming back from them. Like now, the doctors are like, well, we're not sure that like actually they're, they're um, doing a lot of innovative stuff or like really like low fi stuff, like putting people on their stomach and putting something on their stomach so that their lungs are hanging further forward. Like there are some doctors who are saying, let's not just throw them on a ventilator just because we have it because it's, it may not actually be the answer for a lot of these patients. Like they'll be on the ventilator for five years. We don't want that to be the case. And so again, we come to these really hard decisions. It's so hard to anticipate, um, do we go out and make 50,000 ventilators and the next pandemic has nothing to do with respiratory illness? And then, and then what are we going to be talking to each other about? So I get your point. Um, But I also like your point that perhaps it's like, now, why wouldn't the government? uh, So would the government subsidize farm, big pharma to do this research or would the government just take it internally and and create this as like national defense and stuff like that?
1: I think there's pros and cons to both. I think that, that, in in a in a governmental contractor standpoint, we've seen a lot of waste and abuse in in that. When it comes to just the, yeah. the contracts that we gave out in the in the Middle East, especially yeah. uh, during I the <laughs> Iraqi and Afghan wars. Um, so there's individuals that are going to inevitably take advantage of those situations and waste money. I think that once you once you create it in a bureauc in the bureaucracy that is the government, that in and of itself becomes a, a, a an unwieldy beast that is going to be eating a lot of money and, and averaging a lot of money. So it's I would probably rather see it uh, be handled by the the private sector. And subsidized as such, um, but with some really intense accountability and yeah. having somebody in, having individuals in place that are really going to be, you know, holding people's feet to the fire in, uh, in the same way like the Consumer Financial Bureau will, or, um, or just more, a, um, more or, more, or more. more, yeah.
0: You know, I think that's the, I think that's an important uh, addition to what you're saying, which is this isn't like we're privatizing this part of the industry and saying like, we need you guys to do it. It's like national defense stuff. And so we're not asking you, we're we're willing to subsidize it, but you guys need to do this as a national defense thing. The same way if we had Ford making tanks, it wouldn't be like, okay, so you guys just try to get those tanks to us. It would be very much like, there would be a high level of accountability. And we have tons yeah. of
1: DARPA, you know, we have a lot of different research and development that goes on with the private sector already right now. A lot of government contracts that we don't know about uh, in regards to that. So it would just be an extension of that. And there's probably already stuff that we don't even know that already, has already been going on. We just need to increase those efforts and, and bring them into a a more focused uh, control.
0: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and there's historical precedent for it. It was another thing that Robin and I were talking about last night is, you know, there's this like long term economic consequences and all this stuff. Right. There's all of these factors. And I had made the comparison before on one of our shows. And we talked about this last night is the collateral damage that the allies let happen after they broke the Nazi code breaking machine. Do you know about that? no. Oh, so, you know, Alan Turing and a bunch of other people, a bunch of Polish scientists, broke the Nazi coding machine. Um, So they were able to read Nazi cables every day. They were able to know exactly what the Nazis were doing. And they would let ships sink. Um, They would make those kinds of decisions. They, They would know a ship was about to sink, and they'd be like, well, we can't redirect it. Because if we redirect too many of these then it's going to look like we've broken their code-breaking thing, and they're not going to use that code-breaking thing anymore. <laughs> and I, I had made that as a comparison, that, that in a time like this, there's like collateral damage that you really have to look at. You have to take a hard eye and say, is this worth this? But, of course, it, it hadn't occurred to me before. I don't know why, but talking with Robin last night, it was like, well, that was private. You know, it was, There was very few people who knew about it, like five people, who knew that we had broken the Nazi code. It wasn't a public issue. This is a public issue, uh, whether we reopen the schools, whether we go back, everyone goes back to work on May first or something like this. It's not like five people making some really difficult collateral. Con- it's a, it's a public it's a public conversation, and yeah. so it becomes really. It's not the same. It's not the same as that. Yeah.
1: Well, ju- just to your point about about war, uh, the, I was listening to a, a podcast on the. What is it? The SS uh, Theodore Roosevelt, the ship that mm-hmm. that the captain was fired and stuff. In the mm-hmm. in the correspondence that he wrote, which was eventually leaked, and what got him fired was that he said in in a, in wartime, had this been something that happened in wartime, it's their duty to you know to stay on that ship, and there was going to be casualties, and the inevitability of that collateral damage is what you're talking about, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point of um, the captain was, it is we are we are during peacetime, and during peacetime the priorities switch to protecting the, the the citizens of the United States at all costs, including the the sol- the soldiers that were on the the, the ship. Hmm. And so I think that that's where the it, it differs where that collateral damage when, it, when we're talking about the external forces during during World War II, which could Very well, and it was a very real threat. Could come over and take over the United States, whether you know you're thinking about logistically or you know just you know societal perceptions of that. Or Europe, whatever. The the end game is if we lose, we are now taken over. The end game here is that we can wait this out. It's just a pestilence that will eventually die out on its own. So I think that the difference here is I I understand what the collateral damage that you're talking about, but collateral damage versus a Uh, versus an external threat that is uh, other human beings has different consequences and therefore a different uh, different approach for the United States government or governments in general based on what we're seeing.
0: Well, that's right. And I have to say that I've been of the somewhat of the school in the last little while. Like we really need to seriously consider reopening just because of all the damage it's going to create long-term and life expectancy is going down. But when you hear about these like, nursing homes losing 60 people, you know, or the Holyoke bed home losing 48 people. It's kind of like, well, you know what, (laughs) actually, like we have to do everything to keep stuff like that from happening because there's a kind of morality baseline where it's like, yeah, this, you know, hopefully we'll be able to extend lives in the future in other ways, but we can't, you can't let it like something this demonic just kind of walk the earth because we just know what the numbers are in some of these places and it's, it's like really frightening kind of hell on earth type situation. So I'm open, you know, I'm open to that conversation, but just yesterday when I was kind of reading about these nursing homes, I'm like, well, you know what, it's just not just a in some game utilitarian thing like there is morality involved. And yeah, these people only have five years left in their life, but like, you know, gotta be careful. Like those kinds of choices that we're making, um, Because it's going to affect us all. That's going to affect us all in a different way. If we say, "Well, they're old and they need to die and stuff like that," or it's we're protecting our young. It's like, well, why don't we protect who we can protect now, and then we'll try to shore up who we need to protect later when we have more resources.
1: And there's there's other subtle uh, kind of consequences when when thinking about the an individual at the end of life, or even the opposite side, an individual that you know, God bless the The most thankful thing I'm the, the most the thing I'm most thankful for out of all of this is that it does not affect young, kids. You know, <laughs> anyway, this yeah. would be an entirely different epidemic no if, that, if, if um or pandemic if that happened. So. One of the things, actually, in the formula—I think I mentioned it before, but the government—there's literally a government kind of totalitarian formula yeah. of how much is life worth versus how, yes. how much do we do we react. And there is no di- difference between an old person and a young person, no matter how many anecdotes that you put forth of— a child with a rear, you know, from a uh, a rear view camera saving the life of a child who gets run over to a pandemic that wipes out uh, predominantly elderly people. Because once you start making those discrepancies, you start to put different values on life. And it's such an abstract. I mean, just the idea of living versus dying is such a precious thing that once you start to think about that in, in ages and eras, it becomes very, it becomes very muddy.
0: Well, I say it come, becomes muddy and I agree with you. I think this is probably the hardest part of what doctors and nurses are doing in some of these hospitals though. And like, I'm not a big trauma fan, you know, like I think that word is overused a lot of the time. And, you know, I feel like there's this, I keep getting like, People saying, oh, your, your kids must be traumatized. It's like, no, they're not traumatized. They're fine. We're, we're having an okay time. Yeah, it'll probably show up later and stuff like that. But the doctors and nurses who are, are doing exactly what you're talking about, that must be actually traumatic, you know, because there are doctors and nurses who are doing that kind of triage where they're saying, we just can't help this person, you know, they, they they're, they're going to die because we have to go over here and help this person. I think that must be really hard for them.
1: And not only that, but there's other there's others that at the very beginning of this I was listening to a podcast on a uh, from a nurse from New Orleans who you know Mardi Gras was going on and there was there was actually cases of covid that were infiltrating New Orleans because of Mardi Gras and yeah. they, they first saw these patients and they thought that there was a severe cold. And huh. So then on weighing on their conscience is the fact that maybe I allowed this, you know, patient, patient zero in New Orleans to leave the hospital and go infect more people as a result of being, you know, and you can't obviously put that on yourself yeah. as a nurse or anything. But it's something that was weighing on this woman's conscience, And I just felt so bad about it.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things, if you read that Sebastian Younger book about war, which is different from tribe. Have you read war? Uh, you, you, you would no, love that. No. You should read it. He talks about this. And also in the documentary Restrepo, the big trauma for those guys is when they were in charge and they lost somebody. Like they would just fall apart. They couldn't handle the, if they were the captain on that patrol and they lost somebody, it was just, they like, they just, it, it was, it caused such a, a wound in them that they had, that they had lost one of their own soldiers that it was really hard to come back from that. You know, so that's, you know, perhaps along the line. So we do have to be grateful for the people who are making the ugly decisions that we're not forced to make um, because of the lack of resources, et cetera. So, so, you know, we've kind of wandered around a little bit. I like your idea, Waylon, that um, it's something that pharma is given money to do and there's really serious oversight and then, of course, we, we have to have oversight over the oversight, you know, and Congress has to be, you know, we have to figure out what we really need to be careful about. Yeah. Because the next thing probably will be cyber warfare and not a pandemic, right? Yeah. It's so hard to, I, I gave you that example of Chicago, that Chicago snowstorm. You know, there was this terrible snowstorm. No one could move around for two weeks. They, they didn't have enough trucks. They went out and they bought 672 whatever trucks. It didn't snow for 10 years. You know, the next time they had a snowstorm, the trucks were obsolete. You know, and all that money had been spent on something that could have been spent elsewhere. So yeah. I think we have to be patient for people who try to predict the future. First of all, I don't think people who are forced to predict the future. <laughs> I'm not patient for people who are predicting the future. Quite the opposite. But people who are job is to predict the future, I think we should give them some latitude because um, it, must be, it must be really hard. You know? Yeah.
1: I also, I mean, and just bringing it back to the government and big pharma, I think that what we're also going to see, hopefully, is a change to the infrastructure of how we deal with with health in in the United States. I think that what this is going to do, we've already seen a strain on the the economy. We've already seen a a huge immediate strain on paying for mortgages and paying for rent and paying for all of that. I think that what you're going to see with an increase... um, of individuals needing to go to the hospital for 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 things like this, there actually the emergency room and, and other things have gone down considerably. But uh, with this, I can only imagine how terrifying it is not to have health insurance and to think that you have come down with the coronavirus. So I think that it's gonna it's gonna that is going to be something that is going to be fundamentally shaken up. And the and because of the economic circumstances that we're going to find ourselves in, that's going to push against the economics of the healthcare system. And I think that that's where you can start claiming uh, some of the of the if you want to call it kind of governmental kind of relief or governmental control. I think that that's where we're going to see some some of the change um, being facilitated.
0: All right, my friend, I couldn't agree with you more. And. Oh, there we go. There we go. He is hypnotized. He's playing our exit music as we speak. Yes, I agree with you, Waylon. And you know, the best way to get good at something is to go through it. South Korea did a good job of testing because they've been there before. We're not going to screw it up next time like we may have screwed it up this time.
1: Well, Folks, Kim Jong, you... did you hear about King Jong-un?
0: No, I didn't hear about him.
1: He's... There was a tweet that got deleted, but he may have slipped into a coma because of, of a heart surgery that he had.
0: Hey, okay. this, could, this could
1: be rumor mill but he definitely that something happened to him
0: alright well we'll keep our eyes on that for sure um, he won't be riding up that snow covered mountain on the white horse anytime soon we'll or see going
1: to, or going in my hot tub anytime soon
0: Oh, yeah, that hot tub in the basement. Hey, folks, you've been listening to The Free Associates. We're so glad to have you on. If you're on WMUA, this is a rebroadcast. If you're on Facebook, we're live. We are live until we're not live. Like us on Facebook. Check us out on any podcast platform. And also, we have the thefreeassociates.us if you want to check out our readings. You guys have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow.